Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. It's been a very long time since we last recorded. I think it was like early December, so almost a month. Yeah, and in crypto time, of course, that is an era. Yeah, that is, there's different things have already happened. We've experienced our first crypto retracement. It finally came. Uh, I, people in my circles were, were starting to talk about how like the dip just isn't coming and every single dip just continues to be bought. And perhaps because, you know, institutions and new, new types of players are coming into this space that maybe dips just don't happen anymore. And as soon as that conversation started going around, we retraced from like $40,000 Bitcoin to $30,000 Bitcoin and $1,300 ETH to $900 ETH. Um, so yeah, we've- we bounces are right though. Bounce ain't bad, um, but that could just mean that it's not over yet. Who knows? Yeah, the the dump could just be beginning, right? So um, Bitcoin, Ether, markets take the way of most pain usually. So as soon as people get complacent. Yeah, like, so- that's like a, a recipe for disaster. I was saying yesterday, it's like, I can't really tell. I'm a pretty Zen person when crypto prices move. I don't really, even to the up or to the down, I don't really feel emotions anymore. I've just kind of like, I've, I've understand these things are volatile. And so like I was talking yesterday, it's like, you know, I just, I just don't feel the pain guys. Like the, the pain isn't here. And then we dropped another bit and I'm starting to like, feel like, oh, okay, there's a little bit of pain going on here, but still nothing like I felt like back in 2017. Uh, it's nice to be uh, in a second cycle rather than my first cycle. That is definitely yeah. a new feeling. <laughs> no, your second cycle is way better when you've had the entire bull market to accumulate. That's uh, a big improvement. <laughs> Yeah, I just never really integrated like you know, $1,300 ETH into my like brain. I just didn't, it didn't feel real, right? It didn't feel like it was, it was there. And Bitcoin, I probably didn't, I didn't really feel like $30,000 Bitcoin was real. And then it continued to go all the way up to $40,000. Um, things are weird, man. Things are weird. Yeah, things are really weird. And I guess before we keep talking about price, like it's been a while since we got on POV. I feel like a lot has happened, right? Like what was the, like Bitcoin price was sub 20 K last time we talked. Like yeah. that was before even breaking all time highs. Yeah. Um, Ether was around like five or $600. Yeah, no, it's uh, things have happened really, really fast, really, really quickly. I can't it, figure out how to account for why things have moved so fast. Well, I just, it, it's kind of like when you look at like previous Bitcoin cycles, if you look at it in linear, like they, once a new cycle happens, the previous cycle like looks like it's just part of the flat line prior mm -hmm. to, you know, the, the latest bubble. So, I mean, same thing is happening again. Yeah. And I'm trying to map out like where we are in the cycle, like for uh, when we got into it in 2017, I, we got into, I got into it in like August, you know, the second half of the year, 2017, that doesn't, I don't feel like we're completely there yet. Uh, it doesn't feel like we... Not even are, close. Oh, you. Oh, I, I would say we're close. I, I don't think we're there yet, but I would say that we're close. You don't think that we're close to that part in the cycle? No. Really? We we have like so we're six months away from that. Six months? Okay. Yeah. I okay. Say, so I previous Bitcoin all time high was a thousand dollars before twenty seventeen all time highs, and then around when you got in, like Bitcoin was trading around between like high 3000s to 4000 to 5000. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. that's, you know, three to five X all time highs. So I mean, we got one exit. We got one exit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Does so, it work like that though? Can we can we just extrapolate like in that one to one fashion? Yeah, it's hard. This to say. is not financial advice. It's not financial advice. <laughs> Definitely not. As you can see, my the way I think about this market is not very scientific either. <laughs> Well, people try to put it into a science and like you totally can put it into a science, but I find it much more easy to just say F it, like, you know, put in some bids and then don't think about things like people ask me, oh, what's your, what's your sell targets? What's your price targets? And I'm like, I don't know, a higher number. <laughs> think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even really have sell targets for Bitcoin, really. I think yeah. I should think I should think about this stuff a little bit more. It's always good to have a plan, but I'm not really even thinking about fiat. I'm just trying to make the that Bitcoin number go up. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. One thing I've noticed, Christian, to, to change the subjects a little bit is uh, the diverging ecosystems between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like Bitcoiners seem to be doing their Bitcoin thing and Ethereum people seem to be doing their Ethereum thing. Like in the, in the, in the bear market when everyone was bored and we were, it's, we seem to be like, two communities that were really proximate to each other. And that's why so much of the fighting happened. And it seems to be our communities have really just kind of separated. Like we don't, there's less conversations happening and people seem to be focused on their own, their own priorities. Would you agree with that take? Well, I mean, I think there's definitely bull market vibes where everyone is busy pumping their own shit and yeah, like they're not bored. Like, you know, there was points in the bear market where Bitcoiners were fighting each other about stuff, you know, in the bear market, people fight. It's just a thing. So I, I feel like this is pretty normal. I mean, ultimately, pretty much everyone on crypto Twitter is, you know, roughly in the same community, in my opinion. So like, yeah, you know, there's different sects or whatever, but for the most part, people are generally like free thinking, libertarian-esque, um, want to travel young. Like, I feel like there's like this group of people that, you know, is playing around in the crypto space, like between Bitcoiners and hardcore Ethereans, like they're a lot closer than, than they are compared to like someone who's a no-coiner. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's true. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we just, because we're all a little bit more wealthy that we just have less things to fight about and less stress is going around. Um, yeah. I mean, you're not so mad when you see a thousand dollar ETH, when, you know, no, you're sitting on, <laughs> on, uh, on 40 K Bitcoin and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, to, I mean, to, to listeners that have, uh, you know, because this podcast got started in the 2018 bear market. So tip of the hat to the listeners, shout out uh, West Coast Waka and some of the other ones that have stuck with us all the way through. I, I'm sure your bags are doing pretty well as, as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the themes of the, the bear market was not only that Bitcoiners were right, but also Ethereans were pretty right. Like mm -hmm. maybe Bitcoiners were wrong about Ethereum and Ethereans may be wrong about Bitcoin, but DeFi emerging and then obviously Bitcoin really playing into the macro narrative kind of proved both sides correct, you yeah. know, and the people who made the most money were the ones who were holding everything, you know, kind of holding <laughs> both ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Well, that was like our, our thesis going into uh, this podcast. Maybe it was more of my thesis than it was yours, but I was always of the belief that it was going to be a Bitcoin and Ethereum and specifically nothing else. Like that's where I draw the line. Like EOS ain't coming, like Definity ain't coming. Dan Larimer just left EOS. Yeah, Dan, Dan Larimer ain't coming, that's for sure. Um, or maybe he is because he sold all of his EOS for ETH and BTC. Um, <laughs> he, he has a lot of both. Yeah, that's true. Scammers typically have a lot of crypto. Yeah. 
that's that's also something I tried to position myself uh, in this. A lesson I tried to learn in this cycle is like during the last cycle, I was 100% ether. I very rarely held any Bitcoin ever. And that caused me stress, right? Like I would watch the Bitcoin price go up and the Ether price not go up and I would feel FOMO. And like part of part of the experience that I've gotten in this cycle is that, you know, I've just learned to not feel FOMO, but also I positioned my bag so that, you know, I don't feel FOMO because literally I have exposure to both assets, right? It's just easier when you have exposure to both. Like you just have, you don't have to think as many as hard. Like you don't, you don't have to stress out about how, convic- how convicted you are. Um, that's definitely a, a takeaway that I've experienced in this cycle. Well, I think the long-term thesis, it's good to be right about which asset is going to like kind of win mm-hmm. the money game. But in the short term, they're both going to pump. And then that way, like let's say you're more ETH bullish, you can sell BTC at the top for ETH. And then if you're more BTC bullish, vice versa, and you don't actually have to sell you know, your hodl stash of what you treasure as what you think is going to be global reserve currency. Although personally, I think if you're selling BTC at any point in the next few years, most likely you'll just own less BTC. Yeah. So, so here's a question I have for you. Um, do, do Bitcoiners try and sell the top? Be, because like the, the criticism of, from Ethereans yeah. <laughs> to Bitcoiners would be like, you know, they are so incredibly like religious and ideological that like they'll, they'll see like $2 million Bitcoin at the end of like 2022 and they'll, they'll still, they still won't sell because of how like convicted and ideological they are. And that's a dumb thing to do because like there's nothing real about that. So like do Bitcoiners talk about selling? Like how, oh, like, yeah. what, what are sell targets? What are like, does Pierre Richard have like a price target? Like what's going on in, in that kind of world? Well, there's different, like, I feel like there's stronger trader vibes in the DeFi community, obviously, because DeFi is trading infrastructure. So Bitcoin doesn't necessarily have, like everyone in Bitcoin isn't necessarily like a, a trader. And there's a lot of like the really hardcore stackers that will never sell. And I have a majority of my Bitcoin position. I would allocate to that, at that thesis is I'm, not selling it for fiat, and I'm happy to eat 80% drawdowns. I don't care. Um, but with that being said, like there are absolutely a lot of Bitcoiners who are like, this is a four-year cycle. There's going to be a top. I just endured 2018, 2019, not doing that again. Like I'll be an asshole to not take profits. Um, and then there's more Bitcoiners who are like, you asshole, if you sell at the top at this point, guess what's going to happen? It's not going to draw down as much. You're going to pay taxes and then all the institutions are going to buy it to the moon. It's never coming back. So there's like, there's all kinds of, of angles. And like, I I think that many Bitcoiners that have lived through the, the, the past bear market, I'm sure many people in the Ethereum space, they don't want to do that again. Like they don't want to be sitting on all these paper gains and then not take some out and then buy back lower. They don't want to do that. Yeah, I definitely fit in that category where I would like to have lost in way, way more profits than I did uh, in 2017 this cycle. However, I, I am compelled by the argument that like this last this coming cycle is kind of the last big cycle before things like really smooth out. Right. Because like at this point, who's left? Like after we get the big institutions to allocate BTC to their treasuries and then and purchase Ether, invest in Ether for whatever reason. Like at this point, there's no there's no le- like part of the world that's like unaddressed. Like the whole entire world has been unaddressed. Therefore, like the 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 correction or the bear market that would be coming after this hype cycle, I think would be relatively muted. And I think that that's that's a very logical position to have. 
Yeah, so I'm actually putting out a podcast on Wednesday. So that would be uh, the 13th of January with Bitcoin Tina called The Hardest Trade. And it's talking about this exact thing. It's like the last cycle, this was a bubble and these were all illegitimate assets the majority of the world. That is not the case this time around. Like that is something that is very, very, very fundamentally different. And maybe uh, there's going to be a blow off top. I just, I can't see a world where the, these investors, these institutions behave the same. So, you know, these aren't, these aren't your DJ, like the majority of the money is going from DGENs, young Mm -hmm. DGENs to like, you know, capital allocators. That's a very different like type of person. Right. Yeah. So I actually wrote about this in today's uh, news uh, release out of the Bankless newsletter. Uh, and it, it, first off, it was it's titled um, Welcome to the Show, as in like this is our first big like retracement of this cycle. But then at the end, I posed the question is like, are, are these markets going to be different because of the entrance of these new players, specifically the players that weren't able to participate last time? The people with big money move slower and they don't feel FOMO or they don't feel you know, emotions, um, mainly because it's not their money. It's like uh, the, the money of an institution. An institution can't feel emotion. Um, and they just tend to be the people that make one to three trades or a year, right? Just that's it. And they don't, they don't see a wick on a candle and capitulate. That's not who they are. Well, also, they, they just don't need to, right? Like, Let's just say, you know, you had a hundred mil- you had a hundred thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars going into twenty sixteen. You know, you made millions on Bitcoin and crypto. That's all your wealth. You have nothing else. You need to read you need to redistribute, otherwise you're exposed to the volatility. These organizations, they already have trillions and trillions and trillions of assets. Like they're not in a they're not buying crypto so that way it can triple their portfolio size and then read and then you know diversify you know they're buying it as a diversification to increase their sharp ratio you know so crypto to them is the diversifier not something that they're planning on buying writing up and then selling in order to make bank yeah no that's that's exactly right and and that's going that i i like that title the the hardest trader what was it the 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 most difficult yeah, the hardest trade the hardest trade yeah um there has to be a blow off top because we are already seeing reflexivity. When we say, when we see Bitcoin take like three months to go from like 10K to 20K and then three weeks or less to go from 20K to 40K, that's reflexivity. Literally between POV podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) And so like if reflexivity is happening, then blow off tops are happening. And then there's definitely a top to be sold. It's just, it's the timing the bottom, I think is the bigger question. It's like, that's going to be the harder thing to time. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Yeah, I I completely agree. And I don't think we need to like weigh on this too much. Mm -hmm. I would say that me and you agree. And that's a very unpopular opinion still, (laughs) which is going to be interesting to see that play on the next like 12 months. Yeah. So what topic do you want to turn to next? You want to talk about uh, deplatforming? Yeah, I mean, like the last five days. So, hey, we're recording on the 11th. The last five days, we've seen some pretty unprecedented like unilateral deplatforming of both Donald Trump and the Parler app by like every single centralized organization. Yeah, like, we're not talking about coordinated. Yeah, I mean it is coordinated or, yeah. or it's like uh, the big boys are taking lead and then everyone else is just copying them. Sure. But regardless, it's like every single centralized internet provider has pretty much said you can't be on the internet anymore. And now we just see a, a pathway for how people can be booted off the internet completely. 
So, so here's my take on this. In the same way COVID and the money printer go burr meme was like the starting pistol, the, the starting pistol for Bitcoin. I think that the deplatforming of Donald Trump is another starting pistol for Web3. Maybe, and, and I do think that Web3 is not as far along as Bitcoin is in its growth and development and, and maturity. But I think the starting pistol is still sounding saying like, hey, like the president of the United States just got silenced. Like he, as, a, as a person, that person just got silenced and that can happen to you. Uh, and well, I know that- And people, like 40% of the country. Yeah, sure. And 40% of the country. Yeah. And as somebody that has a Twitter account that is extremely valuable to, to me at the very least, uh, I resonate with that. Like, I don't really care too much about Donald Trump not having a platform, but I care about me having a platform and I would not want to be deplatformed. De and as somebody who speaks out as a pundit of an emerging, uh, emerging industry that perhaps has a lot of haters, like I feel, uh, I feel a, a little bit, um, you know, nervous about just deplatforming. Now I'm not telling people to go like mob and tack the, 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 the White House or Capitol Hill or whatever, but still like, you know, I'm promoting something that is, has an anti-state stance. Literally my podcast is, is bankless is about like having, learning how to live without needing the state. Like that's not something that the state likes. And I think the, the, the Silicon Valley and the state are more aligned in that in my, that the, they are more aligned together than, than what I would want them to be with regards to my personal interests. Yeah. I mean, completely right and here's the thing is like you see a lot of people on the left and younger people like celebrating this stuff but it's just very very short-sighted right like we don't know when you're gonna unilaterally be deemed like the bad person like and clearly we have no choice and the person that just almost won the election now got deemed that like he went from almost being the president a second time almost like a lot of people in the country voted for him to zero like that's really scary unilateral power to have and like that's literally the point of bitcoin and crypto is no one should have that this infrastructure should mm -hmm. provide these assurances to anyone no matter what yeah so he he there's a conversation that the democrats might rally to try and impeach him so that he can't run for a second term uh but if say they don't get that effort in and he doesn't get impeached and then Biden just becomes president, he still has the ability to run for president in four years again, like he can still do that. But not if he doesn't have his Twitter account, like no, like it's as it's might as well be an impeachment if you cut off his ability to communicate with the world. Yes, ish. But what I would actually say is that this is just the catalyst for building the alternative system. And what you said is like, this is the catalyst for Web3. I don't 100% agree with that. I think that this is the catalyst for self-hosting. And I think like maybe that is like the biggest like technical differentiator between Bitcoiners and how they see the decentralized future versus like maybe Ethereans who see like Ethereum being that substrate that coordinates that. Um, I think Bitcoiners see it as just more like people are going to see the value of self-hosting and they're going to do it more. And I think that this is proving that, right? Like parlor startups that all like centralize their dependence on servers to AWS, you know, they're going to start maintaining their own servers again. And like, that's going to be more important. People might maintain their own personal servers and like products like that, just like, you know, plug and play nodes, plug and play personal servers are going to become more and more of a thing. So 
I just think that it's like the the alternative system, which is going to comprise of everything in Ethereum, everything in Bitcoin, everything in the like open hardware software space, like that is all going to unite together to kind of like create this alternative. And I'm I'm excited. I'm bullish. Like, you know, if this would have happened 10 years ago, like what the hell would we have done? Like, obviously the world is a different place. Twitter and Facebook were less powerful back then, but still there was like nothing to fall back on. Now I see Bitcoiners going to Mastodon, going all the, this other stuff, linking their Twitter accounts so they can keep tweeting, but build an audience elsewhere. Like there's just the, the foundation for people to escape the release valve is there. And I think that crypto is a huge part of that. I think saying like you you are more aligned with um, or more resonant with like self-hosting versus Web3, I think that's more of a semantics thing. I, w- I would consider like self-hosting be it to be like a Web3-ish type thing. I don't even, people don't even know what Web3 is. And I don't even know what Web3 is. Mainly it's, it's just like protocols acting as the same infrastructure for Web2. And maybe that's on Ethereum or maybe it's not. Well, I mean, I guess Bitcoiners just don't like Ethereum lingo. Yeah, Unless yeah, they're ripping right. off Ethereum yeah. memes like few and half fun saying poor. Although maybe half fun saying poor was uh was I think that was you guys. Few was <laughs> few was well no few was you guys, but the Ethereum community made it a meme. Few came oh. out of Pierre Richard. Okay. All right. Well then I guess we we get it all. We originally <laughs> still. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Um track but, my statement. Yeah, like so like Urbit is definitely web three. I would say, I would call that web three. But again, I would say like, I would criticize the web three as a slogan because it's just relatively like undefined and, and you know, kind of meaningless. Yeah, Urbit's very much on the like the self-host personal computer thing. Yeah. And Urbit touches Bitcoin, Ethereum and beyond too. So mm-hmm. um, I think uh, our thesis is still accurate. Yeah, totally. Well, okay, so you want to, you want to turn to the conversation to regulation? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, like, what do you what are you seeing in 2021? Like, I would say that here's something different. Like, our friends, our our college friends, like, they are not scared of these kind of dips. Like, they're like, oh, I want to buy the dip on this. Like, I think mm-hmm. more and more people are valuing Bitcoin crypto generally, and they're like, they're excited about buying the dip. And I think that's institutions and other people. Like, that's that's proof of like Lindy. That's proof of mm-hmm. Lindy, which is super exciting. Yeah. I ha- so I have a growing Instagram chat. I don't know why it's on Instagram. It just is. Um, that's like turned into like 15 or 16 people. It used to just be me and somebody from college. And then it's and then friends of friends. I think you got kicked me out of it. that one. Yeah. Yeah. I invited Christian and then Christian came in with his BTC maximalism and I just yeeted him right out of the group because we're because the group is literally titled DeFi DGENs. It's about speculating on, on low cap altcoins. Um. <laughs> I missed out on DeFi at like under a thousand bucks because of that. So. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. That is true. That is no, where it that's started. hundred percent true. That started. It, start, it started with wifey. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, it, the group is it, like, and it's it's absolutely fascinating to me to watch. Like that group got started at like four hundred ETH, four hundred dollar ETH, and like nine hundred or nine thousand dollar Bitcoin or something. Yeah, and like people were throwing in a couple hundred dollars, and so like you know people threw a couple hundred dollars into wifey at like you know three thousand dollars, and they weren't really paying attention to ETH. But then as soon as ETH like fucking pumped to a thousand dollars and Bitcoin pumped to forty thousand dollars, like people were like, all right, like I'm gonna wire in like five thousand dollars to Coinbase. I'm like, you had five thousand dollars in your back pocket and you didn't put it in like three months ago. Like what the fuck were you doing? Like now the prices are three x higher. Like it's fucking ten x higher. It's fucking crazy that like as the price of the the price of these things go up, everyone wants to buy more of them. And like well, yeah. that's backwards. Have you heard of the term Veblen good? No. Or Giffen good? Uh, no, it's, I have not. 
uh, both describe a good that as their price increases, so does the demand. It has a backwards mm. demand curve or an upside down demand curve. Whereas like most things like, okay, I'll buy those shoes for 10 bucks. Okay, I'll buy those shoes for 20 bucks. Less people will buy it for 30 bucks. Sure. Even less people will buy it for 50 bucks. You know, $60 shoes, like, you know, no, no one's buying it, right? So Bitcoin, no one wants it at 10K. No one wants it at 20K. No one wants it at 25K. 30K, how do I get the fucking thing, <laughs> right? And I mean, same with, I mean, the only thing like assets are like this, but assets without cash flows, I feel like that it acts even more like a like a Giffen good or a Veblen good, mm-hmm. um, because like companies companies have that kind of reflexivity. But then you just look at you know the cash flows and the fundamentals, and you're like, holy crap! Like the price to earnings is stupid, and then that kind of brings people down. But right now, like there's just not enough understanding for that kind of analysis to happen on a macro level. And so, well, I I was initially subscribes to this idea that, yeah, that, that's totally a, a true phenomenon, but basic based off the fact that like, as there are some institutions that literally can't buy Bitcoin below a certain price, otherwise they just pumped the market and like, they don't like to do that. Right. So they yeah. have to wait for Bitcoin to be like $50,000 so that they can actually allocate capital to it. That makes sense to me, but it's like, the it's like the retail FOMO where it's like it's the the they won't that's buy the it until it and until it gets the three X like that's just weird. It's because it's lack of understanding, and then it's just FOMO. Yeah, at that point, it's, it's just it, FOMO. and like without understanding, you have no confidence to allocate capital. Mm-hmm. And then once you've already like and then, yeah, you know, we could we could go and go back and forth on it, but it, it all comes down to lack of understanding. And when you understand, you know, you have the gall to buy the dips, and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to you. Granted, like the people that really captured like, you know, Bitcoin going from like six, seven K to 40 K or ether going from $200 to a thousand dollars. The only, those people weren't the people that uh, aren't these type of people. Those people are the people that suffered through the bear market, right? Very few people like, like exited in 2018 and then invested their money in the stock market and then came back in early 2020. Very few people did that. You either stuck all the way through it or you FOMO'd in at like $800 ETH and $30,000 Bitcoin. Yeah, no, you're, you're, I think that's completely accurate. Mm-hmm. The, these markets will always take the way of most pain. Yep, yep. I don't have much to talk about else. I think we should give the audience a quick update on like what the fuck we've been up to. The past yeah, month sure. has been crazy for Bitcoin Magazine, so um, I've kind of, I've completely taken over there. So um, Bitcoin Magazine is run by me, Joe Rogers, and a, a squad of hungry Bitcoiners. So um, been super busy on that, and that's kind of played into why we've been doing a fewer, a few mm-hmm. less POV shows. Yeah. So, the, well, talk about a little bit more of the, the type of content that's coming out of Bitcoin Magazine. Like, what, what's your guys' what's your guys' deal right now? I mean, effectively, we're like the oldest Bitcoin slash crypto news company. We've kind of transitioned more into like embracing being being a magazine, and we only do BTC stuff. We definitely have like a Bitcoin maximalist bent. Not like I would say like a hard like we're not like the hardest core uh maxis on the internet trolling everyone that's like not our bent but we're very much all about btc um and here to like amplify anyone has something intelligent to say about btc the ecosystem whatever so uh we're a magazine where people can publish and amongst all the amongst all the deplatforming like we're a great option like why would you publish on on medium and and potentially risk getting deplatformed there's a history of crypto and bitcoin stuff getting deplatformed you can work with us, submit uh, thoughtful content. You'll get an editor. You have a person to work with. 
Um, and we do a bunch of podcasts. We do a bunch of live streams. We put on the biggest Bitcoin conference, which we are uh, struggling to uh, to uh, to organize just because of all the uncertainty. But we are working hard to make it happen in 2021. So it's just an all around Bitcoin media, Bitcoin culture company. A lot of fun. Yeah. Maybe you want to give the, the viewers a sneak peek of that image behind you. <clears throat> Uh, this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it's a very pro Bitcoin media or Bitcoin magazine type image. Anyways. Yeah, dude. It's uh, um, Bitcoin conquering fiat and shit coins. But yeah, I, I mean, and I know like you guys have been taking huge steps with Bankless and launching that. How are things going on your end? Well, b- before we get there, I actually do have to say that like one of the big things that frustrated me in 2020 is that like the Ethereum community and the Ethereum just like news cycle that specifically Ethereum topics, not crypto just forgot to talk about like COVID and inflation, like COVID and money printing and inflation. We didn't start talking about that until we, we still don't really as a community. Right. And so like for, for me, my understanding, trying to get my grasp on like these markets and how these, and how they're just being knowledgeable and uh, being an informed investor. I, that's, I went to Bitcoin magazine to hear about like federal reserve policy, inflation. Uh, that's where I, I got to know like Lynn Alden. Uh, and like, that was one of the few dependable sources of information that I could, to, could get to talk about just like macro, like Ethereum people don't care about macro. And that's kind of a bummer to me. Yeah, Bitcoin people only care about macro, <laughs> um, and a lot of times they kind of skim over like the details that you know Ethereum people really appreciate and are, are kind of building. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're trying to be a resource again. Like uh, a lot of the articles and content that we're putting out, you know, to kind of like hardcore Bitcoiners, like it sounds like, hey, Bitcoin is good. But to outsiders, they're looking at this like, wow, this is in-depth macro analysis, and there is some fantastic stuff coming out there, you know, from a macro perspective, not just, you know, beyond, uh, you know, Bitcoin as an ideology, as a culture, as a, as a technology. So uh, working hard to just keep it as a resource and uh, a Bitcoin resource too. So if you want to learn about the history of Bitcoin, lightning, all that kind of stuff, uh, we've been doing it since 2013. So we have a huge wow. archive of historical stuff. Wow. Yeah. And, and you're getting into the writing game too, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, dude, you've been fucking hounding me on writing for so long and uh, <laughs> finally, finally getting on it. I, uh, I put out a hit piece where I criticized Ethereum uh, back in the day, uh, you know, in uh, November, put out uh, a, an op-ed called the Sovereign Company Thesis, which is looking more and more prescient. And uh, now I'm working on a handful of other ones. And I'll, I'll tease one that's probably going to come out soon called the Cantillon Effect 2.0. Uh, so trying to, trying to get in on the, on the thought leadership from the writing perspective, too. Yeah, writing is, is nice because it sharpens your own swords while you are writing it. Writing is, as, as somebody who has written a decent amount, like I've benefited from my writing just as much as my audience has. Um, so I'm, I'm, I would expect that same thing to happen to you. When are you going on Peter McCormick's podcast? Is that happening? Sometime next month. Yeah, we're, so, we're organizing it. He wants to talk about the Sovereign Company thesis. Okay, so my, my one critique of the Sovereign Company thesis was that once again, it was Bitcoin focused when it didn't need to be. Like it could have also have, have been Ethereum. Ethereum can create a sovereign company as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally can. But uh, Bitcoin is is like the best thing that could become a digital reserve currency. So um, it makes more sense to use Bitcoin as the category word. Okay, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, yeah. Plus, yeah. it's Bitcoin Magazine. Sure. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Speaking of repping the OPSEC friendly Bitcoin Magazine tea, so. Check out it, our store as well. Is is that just the Bitcoin Magazine logo, but it's just pixelated? Is that what's yeah, pixelated on? on Bitcoin, so it That's just funny. says magazine. 
<laughs> love it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, very few people are going to understand that reference. <laughs> Dude, it's it's for the Bitcoiners. It's not for <laughs> for the no coiners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, no, let's talk about you, man. Like, what have you been doing? Like, I mean, obviously building Bankless, you guys have mm-hmm. absolutely been crushing it. I've been super impressed taking notes on my end. Yeah. Um, what are the last like uh, two months been for you? Dude, absolutely insane. Yeah. So we're, we're, we've, we've turned Bankless into like a program with like a drum beat, right? And so we have a pretty regular drum beat. Monday is the podcast. Tuesday is the state of the nation. Uh, Wednesday, there's no, there's no video. There's just a newsletter. Uh, Thursday, there is the weekly roll-ups and every other week there is a uh, AMAs. And then, uh, and then we publish the weekly roll-ups, which is like a news news recap once a week on Friday. Um, so uh, every other, there, there's either three pieces of content that go out a week or four. Every other Thursday, we do the AMA. Uh, and so that that is a fuck ton of content. And that's what, what keeps me busy all the fucking time. Uh, and then we also have the uh, Monday through Friday, Friday newsletter. Um, and so that's Monday. It's just the, the opening note, the opening note to the week. Uh, Ryan or, or me or somebody else kind of gives some sort of just like five to 700 words, just like note uh, commentary as to what's going on, usually about the market or something in the news cycle. Uh, and then there's a bunch of resources in there for people that actually pay uh, for the, uh, for to uh, subscribe to Bankless. Tuesday, Tactics. Wednesday, Writers Wednesday, Thursday, Thought Piece, um, just some content from from external writers or something from me or Ryan ourselves. And then on Friday, we have like our, our open thread. So it's like a question that people can come and comment on. Um, so f- a full program. And what we're trying to turn this into actually is just like a an onboarding material for noobs, basically. The thesis is that a bunch of people are going to come into this space. They are going to figure out, they're trying to figure out how to learn and we are trying to guide them correctly. So we have this metaphor of going West uh, and it's also dangerous to go alone. And so you want to take a, a group of people with you. And that's what yep. like, the bankless nation is supposed to be. No, I love it. The The marketing is just like complete A-class marketing. It's fantastic. And the narrative, everything, like the whole program, it's really something uh, uh, to congratulate yourself on building. Thanks, brother. I can definitely thank uh, Twitter for that one. Twitter Twitter is a great, <laughs> uh, just a way, place to like learn marketing skills. Totally. And I'm, dude, I'm like, let's talk about Twitter a little bit. Like, I'm just kind of like hurt by Twitter. Like I love, you know, I love Twitter so much. Mm -hmm. I've just like, I I think it's just such a fantastic tool for learning and exercising Mm -hmm. and sharpening and community building and everything. And just like seeing all this stuff and like, wow, Twitter is fundamentally broken. And, you know, at some point, like the future of networking is going to be elsewhere. And I'm excited and hopeful that it's going to be better and fairer. But uh, it sucks to kind of just see this like thing that you've been spending so much time on uh, kill itself a little bit. At least that's my take. Yeah. So I feel like that's the the right wing slash Bitcoiner take. I'm not sure everyone is ready to hop on that board. So, so maybe you want to um, elaborate on on why that's your opinion. I mean, there's just a lot of people have been marginalized and it, it, it seems like it's objectively not, you know, fair or consistent. So, I mean, I... I would say I'm more of a libertarian bent, more conservative-ish, but I don't, I'm not a Trump supporter. I've never voted for Trump, never even liked it. You know, like I don't like Trump at all. You know, I don't, I've never voted for a Republican. I've voted for Obama once. So like, truly, like I, I try to be like impartial and it just seems like, you know, the combination of it being the most influential place, like the gathering square, but being the least monetizable of all social medias shows that it is very apt for capture. And then even the more monetizable ones like Facebook and uh, and uh, and and Google and that kind of stuff, like 
you know, they're just jumping on board too. So like, you know, it, it seems like there's complete capture from the left right now. And that's just not good for communication and idea spread in America, in my opinion. So let's see, there's, there's two paths of conversation we could go down. You, you said captured by the left and uh, this, this, my mind goes back to uh, Vitalik's uh, article that he wrote about concavity versus convex dispositions and how Bitcoiners tend to be extreme thinkers and, and other, other people, Ethereans tend to be more like middle ground saying like, we can, we can take a best of, a best of all things perspective. And Bitcoiners are like, you know, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And so like, I think this debate boils down to the, the fact that like, can Twitter and Twitter leadership you know, de-platform the president of the United States and also still hold themselves accountable to fairness and balance? Uh, or do you think that it just is a slippery slope that devolves into just systemic deplatforming and systemic capture, as you said, by the left? I'm still in the camp that like, it is possible for leadership to take a rational, unbiased perspective about deplatforming without going too far. I think that that is a possible thing to do to get done. Um, and and uh, Eric Voorhees on, on a video that we just recorded that should be coming out um, sometime soon said that, you know, he would rather have uh, um, Jack uh, be the person doing the deplatforming rather than the central government. Um, that he thinks that that's a good thing in, in between those two options. Um, I, I'm more optimistic that you're muted. I'm more optimi optimistic that um, Twitter leadership can deplatform without devolving into something just dystopian and bad. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Like, Twitter has the right to deplatform. It's their platform, right? And I don't want them to be regulated because that's captured. Like, we already know that that's captured. Like, so I don't want them jumping into this shit. Um, so I agree with Eric there. Um, I just have less, maybe I have less faith than you in uh, le Twitter's leadership's ability to, you know, to get it done. Uh, I haven't seen anything to show me that they, they can do it well. So like, I think part of this debate, because of course this debate is about Donald Trump, because this was the instance that basically- Donald Trump is just the example sure. of what can happen to you and your friends and your yeah. company and anyone else who is on the wrong side of, you know, whoever has the God button. Right. He's on the wrong, but, but he's on the wrong side of, and this goes back to like, do you believe, who, who do, or do you like Donald Trump or do you not like Donald Trump? Because like, if you don't, like I don't Donald, like Donald Trump and I think he's gross. And I think that all those people busted through the house, like, are like, what the fuck were they thinking? And right. like, it's all cringeworthy, but still, but still. But yeah, that's where I'm like ready to be like, well, Donald Trump, this guy that lost an election. And I do believe that he lost the election is it tried to, and figure out flail, flailed about and tried to surmount a coup to like take over the government. I think that's what happened more or less. Like we could debate the nuances, but I think if you want to boil it down into a sentence, he tried to go around the law to keep maintain. He didn't lose gracefully. That's for sure. That's but for sure. How, how serious was that coup? Like, okay. Like that was the biggest joke of a coup I've ever seen. If you want to call it that it was sure. pretty gross. It was cringe. I feel like that's like, a, it was that's disrespectful, but like, it, is I, it I worth it more setting precedent to destroy rights? Mm -hmm. I, maybe that's where, uh, you know, maybe that's where I'm just unwilling to go. I mean, people died. Uh, people died because of Donald Trump's tweets. People died. And one of them. People, people died because of every single politician that is making orders right now. 
not to say that they're the same, but yeah. like, are we actually we, measuring we this stuff by that. deaths? If you're going to say that people died, then let's count deaths and let's see who's which politicians are most responsible for deaths. But as a result of tweets, that's the category. Deaths as a result of tweets. Dude, there's politicians that said don't wear masks on their tweets in March. Okay, do we want to talk? Is every single death yeah. in their constituents area? The difference on there, is intent, on them? though. That's intent. There's intent. Okay, there. so tweeting ignorantly is not super responsible to me. I'm just trying to say, like, let's be even killed here before we do things that fundamentally change how society works, how rights are viewed, managed, and and defended. Like, mm-hmm. we're talking about the bedrock of society, and then we're talking about incidents. And then changing the backdrop of society to address incidents is pretty fucking crazy, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely don't like it. And I also don't think it's, it's even the, the most viable strategy. Like keeping Donald Trump on Twitter and not deplatforming him, I think would actually be the right move to achieve the goals that whoever wanted to deplatform Donald Trump to achieve. Like he's, he's, he was just going to burn himself out regardless. Now, and now, like now, the right even feels more victimized, and now they have even more proof, and now they feel like probably even more energized. Yeah, I mean, there was a point where people on the right were just were 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 you know essentially saying you know we don't condone what Donald did, like his lack of speaking during the whole instant it was a shame, a sham, all this stuff, and then all those people were coming to you know agreement with you know against Donald Trump. And then all of a sudden, because of this like massive deplatforming and like massive coup of like right, you know, you know, kicking out of anyone who has like right any sort of like hardcore right wingness, like that's effectively isolated these people and forced them to double down. Yeah. Now it's like it's us versus them instead of like oh here's this rational thing where I can, you know, I can condemn this action by Donald Trump. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I I clearly feel strongly about this. <laughs> yes, yeah. and and like, I I don't think it's good for left right relations, and left right relations are are awful right now. I saw I saw I I don't know what movie it was from. I, I saw Nick Carter tweet out. Um, it was like some in a screenshot from a movie and it was a reference to a movie that I can't remember, but maybe you do, but it was like um, American democracy and Bitcoin, two people staring out over like a burning skyline and like this dystopian movie. And the, the caption was from uh, the, the speaker of the American democracy to Bitcoin. You've met me at a very interesting time in my life. Um, and then the, alluding to the, the price pumping of Bitcoin to $40,000 while people are storming the U.S. Capitol, like that's an interesting juxtaposition. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the story of the decade that, that is currently being written. I mean, Fight Club, that, that's what that scene was. Oh, really? It was the last oh, scene I've only, of Fight Club. I've, only, I've actually never really watched Fight Club. <laughs> All right. Well. All the way through and through. Yeah. I think it's one of, if there's like four movies that are like after you become like a Bitcoin or crypto person like that you need to watch, you got to watch that one. I've, I've watched it, but yeah, I'm not not with intent. I should watch it more. Yeah, watch it with intent. It's a good, yeah, it'll be worth it. your time. It, I mean, it's legendary. It's a legendary movie. <laughs> I know it's and it's like a, a mind fuck too. So if you're into that, I'm into those kind of movies. I mean, I know the story. I know the story. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be the one that I obviously can't. I'm missing references. So maybe I should not not miss references and, and watch it. 
<laughs> for sure. All right. Well, I think I mean, hey, this is a good uh, this is a good little recording here, um, guys. You know, at one point we were doing two shows a week and interviews. Uh, POV Crypto is definitely you know taking a step back in terms of uh, how many shows we produce, but like David and I, I think between us we put out like at least ten pieces of content a week. Like <laughs> yeah, no, it's just right. a lot. It's just a lot. And hey, you know, if, if the listeners are missing us, like let us know. Like well, if you guys yell enough, we'll come back. Yeah, but so, I mean, we're going to try to get consistent. We're trying to figure out a groove. Like, mm -hmm. this is the first time that we try to really do POV crypto while both being full-time Bankless and Bitcoin Magazine. So uh, have a little bit of patience while we figure it out. But until then, you can follow me at CK underscore Snarks. You can follow me also at Bitcoin Magazine. If you're on Mastodon, at CK Snarks, at bitcoinhackers.org and same for bitcoin magazine at bitcoinhackers.org so check it all out and uh yeah keep on keeping on by the dip all yeah. the above interestingly pov crypto was created so both christian and i could get jobs in this space and it turns out that's exactly what that podcast did <laughs> so that's <funny>. absolutely <laughs> yeah all right guys you can follow me on twitter at trustless state uh i'm not on mastodon because i'm a an, an ethereum lib um, <laughs> but you can also follow Bankless at Bankless HQ. It's uh, on YouTube, on Substack, and on Twitter. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Peace. Will you deceive? Will you deceive?